Hello, this is Tom McSweeney and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. The Maritime Ireland radio show is all about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. Also important to this island nation, where the connection with the sea is as old as time itself, a fundamental part of Ireland socially and economically. My thanks to listeners for the responses to our first edition of this fortnightly programme and podcast. It's been very encouraging. The email address is maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. Phone and text 0872 555 197. She is something pretty special. And she's not just some sort of freak or whatever. She actually performs really, really well. Now, who is he talking about? It's the Lady Min, and she's 118 years old. Not bad to be performing well at that age, but then she is being thoroughly restored. And that's what this story is about. The love of people for boats which have been part of their family, the caring for old boats, maintaining and restoring them, at what can be quite some cost. It can take years to restore a boat. Back in 2018, at the Baltimore Traditional Boats Gathering in West Cork, I met Simon O'Keefe, who told me that he intended to restore a yacht originally built by his great-grandfather in 1902, and which had been noted as a huge challenge to and a thorn in the side of the Cork Harbour Yacht Racing Fraternity, because she sailed so well. That's some reputation to have. I like to follow up on stories, so I called Simon to find out how the Lady Min is getting along. The restoration is being done by Tiernan Rowe at his yard in Ballyty Hob, and that's not far from Skull, where she was originally built in 1902. Well, as she stands now, the hull, the deck, cabin is done, the cockpit is done. What remains is to put the keel back on and to build a completely new rudder. After that, then, we need to put in the rigging. We have a new mast. The bowsprit is fine. The gaff is all right. And then uh, it's a matter of dealing with standing rigging and running rigging. What motivated you, Simon? Because what you've taken on has been an amazing project, a very costly project, obviously, but you're very dedicated to it. Yeah, if you sort of spool back to the turn of the century when Lady Min was, you know, an idea in, in say, the 1890s and was reality in the 1900s, um, the world was, was a very positive place and, and full of people who were getting on with things. And so I, I think we sort of owe it to ourselves to say, hey, we can do all this again and we can, we can pay tribute to it. And, and Lady Min is, is an example of that. I mean, to be fair, you know, she's not... Um, infrastructure or a medical thing or anything like that. In other words, she she doesn't belong in the category essential, um, but she does belong in the category of of this sort of can-do that I'm talking about. You're looking at a boat that, um, if if I'm correct, her profile didn't emerge again until uh, around the 70s um, in design on, on this side of the Atlantic. So she is something pretty special. And she's not just a uh, you know, some sort of freak or whatever. She, she actually performs really, really well. 
She dates from 1902, I think it is, and she's in your family going way back. A lot of that is uncertain because um, a, a guy called Jack Driscoll in, in Cork and Ring Skiddy uh, deserves, you know, 99% of the credit for looking after the boat and, and making her the great racing boat that she was. Um, he bought her in 1944, apparently he and and someone else, now it may have been more than one other, rode down to Castle Townsend on their bikes, bought her, complete with a concrete keel at the time, because the lead apparently had been sold off um, for, uh, I presume, for munitions or some such. Um, and I have a picture of her sailing in Crookhaven in 1944. Now, the names of all of their, there are six people on board, and I have all their names from Jack's nephew. Um, and they're right in front of, you know, the, the roadstone quarry there, the other side of, of, of Crookhaven. And she's gliding along looking looking beautiful. He, he bought her, and it's not clear that he bought her from an O'Keefe. I think she'd been sold somewhere in between, but I have no record of that. And I'd love to know what happened. Um, and he owned her right up into the 80s. So he got fantastic use out of her. And, you know, really, he, he obviously cherished the boat. It's a wonderful thing to be so associated with the boat, Simon. And obviously, down in rowboats, they've done a great job on her. You're, you sound pleased with the way it's gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess that, you know, perhaps the nicest thing of all was that when we, we said, all right, look, uh, how are we going to deal with this? Because obviously this is a big question for anyone who's looking at restoring a boat. Do, do you sort of spend ages and ages trying to work out what it'll cost or do you just take the plunge? And I'm, I'm a, the sort who'd be, you know, into facts and figures. So I was trying to work out what it would cost. Anyway, I got two people to look at restoring her and they both produced figures. The two of them, neither knows the other. Um, each of them came up with a figure within um, 300 euros of each other when you're talking about a figure in, in around 40 grand. And um, I, I decided then that, all right, you know, no amount of wisdom is going to help me with this. We're going to have to just get on with it. And Tiernan was the guy who came to me and said, look, she's on a metal trolley. That's going to fall apart soon. If we don't do something, you'll have nothing. And and so we began, you know, I'm talking about hundreds of quids, you know, just 100 quid here and 100 quid there to build a cradle, to take her off the, 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 the metal one and get it going. And so Tiernan deserves great credit for, for, for being sort of the catalyst uh, to get it moving along. And then all the people around me, start, you know, my wife Anne was the first to, to, to do anything about it and put a little bit of a, a nice little card and birthday present to go with it. And so it went. You're hoping to get her back on the water then next year. That would be some achievement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, this year things have slowed down because of COVID. Um, it has made things a little more difficult. Um, but in one way, it's helped because, Tom, when you're, when you're looking at a restoration in the early stages, it's all very linear. You can't, um, you can't do the planking until you've done the ribs and so on. You can't do the deck until you've done the, um, the hull. And you can't do the cockpit and the cabin until you've done the deck. And so it goes. But each thing comes after, after something else. Whereas now we're facing a situation where we have to have sails, running rigging, standing rigging, spars, paint. Uh, all, all those jobs are now sort of arriving at it. We're arriving at a sort of a delta of cost. Everything is sort of arriving at the same time as we approach the coastline. 
So, you know, the big challenge is going to be to get through the next year and get her on the water. But I'm absolutely determined that while my dad is in, is in good shape and good form, um, uh, he's the grandfather of the builder and designer of the boat, Morris, um, that we'll get her on the water. And I'm not going to let perfection become the enemy of the good. You know, we'll get her going. And then over the next few years, if you know, we'll buy better pieces and more brass and so on and so forth. We, we just spent a considerable amount of money getting nice wooden blocks from Toplicht in, in, in Germany. Um, so, you know, a lot of what we're doing is very authentic. Uh, but as I say, we're, I'm determined. Uh, I'm not hoping, I'm determined that she'll be on the water early next summer. Simon O'Keefe and the wonderful story of the Lady Min, respecting and preserving a family boat. And it will be a great occasion when she takes to the water again next summer. The drive, determination and resourcefulness of those who restore old boats, which are part of our maritime history, deserves admiration. Now, Neptune is the god of the sea, but I was surprised to see this maritime god pictured in an unusual way on the cover of a new book, trident in one hand, as he's usually pictured, but with a basketball in the other. The story of this involves the Irish Navy, the Naval Reserve Slumery, and how they helped the government to ease anti-Irish international sentiment over Ireland's neutrality in the Second World War. What they did introduce the American sport of basketball to Ireland. It's an unusual story, which was told to me by the author of The Gods of Cork, following the God of the Sea, standing outside Neptune Stadium on the north side of Cork, where I talked to Jim O'Donoghue. Well, in order to uh, put together the basketball scene in Ireland, before there was basketball at all, people hardly knew of basketball, the uh, Irish Army and the Navy wanted to entertain the American troops coming to Ireland, and especially because Ireland was neutral in the last war. So therefore the government wanted to entertain the Americans, and one part of the, a very important part of the entertainment was uh, a basketball game. So the Army and the Navy were the first people to play basketball in Ireland, but then the army people and the navy people enjoyed basketball and the Olympic Games in London in 1948 were on the horizon. The army people and the navy people decided they'd like to play in the Olympics uh, basketball. So in order to do that, there had to be an association. They went about set it up in the association. And the Navy people in Cork gave a task to some of their officers. Among them was Humphrey Lynch. And their orders were to uh, set up civilian teams. And the first civilian team was Neptune. Other than Neptune, you had army teams and therefore you had enough teams for the county board. And the same thing went on in Dublin. Basketball Association was set up because there were no enough of clubs, enough of clubs. And in Cork, the first civilian club was Neptune. So they were actually having their leisure 
And because of that, they were basketball players, of course, as the Americans would be. Neptune and Cork got founded. That's right, that's it, exactly. The um, regular visits from the American Navy, uh, once, twice a year even, so they weren't entertained, as I explained, uh, because of our neutrality in the last war. So the harbour was ideal, of course, for uh, the big Navy ships, and um, it progressed from that. Afterwards, then civilians played, well, not too many venues in Cork at the time, but only City Hall, really, because there was no other big venue that could uh, hold, big enough to have a court on. So City Hall, there were regular games in the City Hall at the time. And the book you've written, which is the history of Neptune Basketball Club, is called? Gods by the Lee. Uh, Neptune, the god of the sea, and the navy connection. So somebody got a bright idea that we'll call this new civilian team Neptune. Now, you couldn't call it a, a name that you'd associate with the sea, but at the same time, the club was founded by members of Slough Marie, which was the reserve navy team. Um, so that, that's, that's how... The maritime Neptune god came into it, and uh, the gods by the Lee, I suppose, emphasizes as well how strong a club Neptune became and is probably the most prominent basketball club, basketball in Ireland. It's a fascinating tale, Jim, because Neptune would be well known to people all over Ireland watching television at election time political counts. The north side is a huge place where dockers were a strong contingent of Cork but I'd never have imagined that a basketball club was also part, had a maritime connection. Yeah, it's very interesting. It, um, and people, one of the reasons I, I wrote the book was that I was being asked regularly, Neptune not a, a real name for a basketball club, you say it was a swimming club or something, yachting club or whatever, but a basketball club. But our founder, uh, Humphrey Lynch, the Slomery officer, decided, and it actually decided on that name when I think about it, because he decided, and he was the boss, he was the first chairman, if you like, and um, he said, look, we'll, this is an appropriate name, for a basketball club even though it doesn't sound like it but with the connection with the Navy and the Slough Marie the reserve of the, the reserve force of the Navy it was definitely uh, a name that would that would be familiar and that would fit into the, the general context of where Neptune Club came from I've reported many times on radio and television from the Neptune Stadium at general elections, but never associated the basketball club, whose home it is, with having a maritime background. There's always something unusual about the sea. Jim O'Donoghue, and you can get his book by emailing him the address godsbythelee at gmail.com. That's godsbythelee at gmail.com. And it's also in bookshops. Where would we be without the RNLI, the lifeboat service? How often have I heard that phrase? This Christmas time, the lifeboats could do with your help. 
Neave Stevenson is their public affairs manager in Ireland. What help is needed, Neave? Well, Tom, these are difficult times, particularly for funding for the lifeboats, and many of us I know will be glad to see the back of 2020. Hopefully there are good times ahead in the new year. The RNLI has had a busy year, even with lockdowns and restrictions. Fundraising has taken quite a hit, with face-to-face events being unable to go ahead, and that means this year our Christmas appeal is even more important. The campaign is focused on the people the crew leave behind when they race to a launch. Joe May and his mum Teresa are the faces of the Ornalise Christmas Appeal. Teresa worries when he is called out to save others who are in trouble and confides to feeling a huge sense of relief when he returns home safe. She has lived by the harbour in Scaries for 50 years, so the lifeboat really is part of her family's life and her husband Joe Senior was also part of the crew. Joe Jr. joined the crew 15 years ago. In Northern Ireland, Port Rush lifeboat volunteer Christy Bradley and his mum Susan are also faces of the appeal. Christy became a crew member there as soon as he turned 17. His dad Jared was on the crew for 25 years, so mum Susan is used to family events being interrupted by the pager, and that includes Mother's Day. It's through highlighting the families behind our volunteers that we hope to show it takes a community to launch a lifeboat and the support of that community in this year particularly is one we don't take for granted. To support the campaign, you can visit ornli.org forward slash Xmas. Congratulations to Dunmore East Ornli and author David Carroll on the publication of his book, Dauntless Courage, celebrating the history of the Dunmore East Ornali, their crews and the maritime heritage of the local community. All proceeds from the book will be going to the local Dunmore East Lifeboat Fundraising Branch and the book can be ordered online at dunmorelifeboatbook.com. But be warned, the run is limited and over half of the books are already sold. Now, Everyone in the RNLI wishes Des Davitt, Operations Manager at Wicklow Lifeboat Station, a very happy retirement after 27 years volunteering with the organisation. Des joined the Wicklow Committee in 1993 and was chairman there when they raised funds for the provision of a new inshore lifeboat and an extension to the boathouse in 1996. He was awarded a bronze badge for his services to fundraising. And while lifeboat operations manager at the station, he oversaw the arrival of the Shannon class lifeboat and the retirement of the last Tyne class lifeboat in the Orna Life fleet. Des is succeeded by former Garda inspector Mary Aldridge, who joined Wicklow Ornali as a deputy launching authority four years ago. Living in Wicklow for the past 20 years, Mary is an avid sea swimmer and regularly competes in open water competitions. So, Tom, from everyone at the Ornali, we wish you all a very happy and safe Christmas in these unusual times. And we thank you all for your continued support of the lifeboats. Thanks, Niamh. Niamh Stevenson from the Ornali and do give them the support you can this Christmas time. Now to the determination, a point I've mentioned already in this programme, 
this time of an Irishman to achieve something that no one else in the world has done. I've been in training for four years for this event and I have over, I suppose, a half a century of experience in the water. Each day I try to swim as far as possible, as safely as possible, maybe four or five, six hours sometimes. We're out there, you know, making an effort to help the community. That's Henry O'Donnell from Carrick Finn in County Donegal, who set out from there last September with a self-imposed mission to become the first person ever in the world to circumnavigate a country by swimming. That's some challenge. My colleague Justin Marr has been following his progress. So, this Christmas time, how's it going, Justin? At the time of recording, Tom, Henry has swam about 355 nautical miles, or 657 kilometres, to reach Kilmore Quay, having made his way down the infamous North Channel, from Ulster into Leinster, County Louth and Dublin. As he and his team stopped to refuel in Rosslare, having been given special access to the port, I spoke to the man whose style of swimming has helped create his nickname, Finn Man. Finman is the name. That's my middle name, whether I like it or not. Uh, I come from an area in northwest Donegal called Carrick Finn. So we took the end of that and added man onto the end of it, and that was it. Uh, and Finn also fits, of course, with the fins which I'm using. So it's a very catchy name. And I've had a cartoonist and a children's program onto me recently, and they're thinking about doing something, you know, for children and with this catchy name, you know, like Finman, and to work it in with a safety message on the sea and safety on the water and uh, all of that. And who knows? You never know. <laughs> Henry's making his way around Ireland by fin swimming, a technique that challenges the entire body. I've been fin swimming since I was about 14, which is more than 40 years ago. It's hard to believe, but fins, for people who don't know, are flippers. Some people call them, are used primarily by divers for helping to propel themselves under the water. And the involvement of fins during a swim uh, is beneficial to the body, you know, and more and more has been understood about this. And some of the top athletes in the world, in actual fact, use fins to develop not only their leg muscles, but also the entire body because when you're finning the core muscles come into play the the lower back muscles the upper back muscles and then if you add in the arms with a front crawl stroke you're getting an extreme body workout so some of the field athletes like for example the all blacks use fins for training an awful lot of them don't say much about it because they want to have a little advantage but they do use fins and uh, I know the benefits. I've been using them for a long, long time. I'm 57 years of age almost, and I'm still probably as fit as most people between 18 and 30. Um, you know, I generally in the sea, I swim at about two nautical miles per hour. And we try to go as far as possible, as safely as possible in any one day. Safety is important to Henry. The former army ranger who trained as a specialist diver and who's a qualified beach lifeguard is looking to spread the message of water safety and fundraise at the same time. It's for two national charities. One is Water Safety Ireland, which plays a vital role for the fishing community. 
and on the coast of Ireland, you know, providing lifeguards and training people up and uh, teaching lifesaving and swimming and all of this. So Water Safety Ireland, you know, have uh, appointed me as safety ambassador for a year up to the end of 2021. And I'm really honoured and proud to do that, especially being a lifeguard with Water Safety Ireland is very special. And then we have the Irish Cancer Society is the second charity. And we all of us, I think, know somebody or families who have been afflicted by cancer. And each day when I go out there to swim, I keep in mind some of those friends of my own. And we get messages in on a daily basis from families who have somebody suffering from cancer or who are survivors of cancer or people who haven't quite made it. You know, that sort of inspires me too. But the Irish Cancer Society are working very hard to help families in this situation. Um, and it, coincidentally as well, there is an academic part to the expedition. You know, we're tied in with NUIG on the PEER project, carrying out global standard research into the effects of antibiotic resistant bacteria that can be ingested by swimmers. Professor Dervla Morris and her team there are continuing with that fantastic piece of research for the entire island of Ireland. It's going to be a, such an important piece of work. Henry's expedition is very dependent on the weather. At most, he can swim for five days for up to six hours before having to rest for two days. That's rarely the norm, though, particularly at this time of year. But help along the way have kept the father of six in good spirits. When we expect to get home, it's very, very hard to know. Um, we, we've, we've completed over one third of the expedition so far. That's taken about three months. So if we were to model it against that, we're probably talking about around May or June 2021. And that's with a lot of effort. And we must remember that it's not just myself. You know, we have the expedition team. We have the lifeguard on board, you know, all the time. My daughter actually is one of the lifeguards, uh, Grania. We have the skipper, uh, William Dugan, who's from Tory Island. Most of the crew, in actual fact, are from Tory Island. The vessel itself is the Tory Island Fast Ferry, and they've sponsored this uh, vessel. Uh, otherwise, I just simply wouldn't be able to do the event, you know. And the local fishermen and the communities are absolutely fantastic. We had an, an extraordinary situation up in Arco where the local community got together and um, the local fire service brought Santa down to the pier and they put up a Christmas tree for us docking in Arco. It was absolutely phenomenal. We were absolutely stunned. We couldn't believe it. A bit embarrassed as well, but nevertheless, we accepted it. And it was, it was just unbelievable, you know, but uh, and then we have Bates Oil fueling up this morning. A number of local businesses organised by a local man, Kieran McGuinness, and his company. You know, and Bates Oil got together with others to help us out. You know, to fuel the vessel uh, for the charity event. And indirectly, they're helping us and they're inspiring us to continue with the expedition. It's all a positive event. It's bringing an awful lot of positivity to coastal regions and inland as well, but coastal regions in particular during a pandemic when there's very little happening and there's very few expeditions actually running globally. There's nothing happening hardly anywhere in the world. And this is one of the few expeditions that's running at the moment, you know, and we're out there, you know, making an effort to help the community to help people, you know, who've had loss through drowning and also people who've had loss through cancer. And we're trying to raise awareness and trying to raise funds for those two fantastic charities. They're absolutely amazing. You can keep up to date with Henry's extraordinary expedition on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at FinSwim2020 or on their website, 
where you can make a donation. finswim2020.com What a determined chap, Justin. And we'll wish him fair swimming in his attempt to become the first person ever in the world to circumnavigate a country by swimming. And finally, our congratulations to Galway Bay Sailing Club on reaching its golden jubilee, 50 years old, which Commodore Johnny Shorten marked by saying that no club ever thrives by standing still. And their club has interesting plans for further development. Good luck to them. With that positive approach, we end this edition of the Maritime Ireland Radio Show, broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. Cork on CRY 104FM Yol, from where the programme originates on the east coast of Cork County. And also in Cork on UCC Radio Cork, Bear Island Radio and West Cork FM. In Galway, Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, Kilkenny City Radio. In Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmullet. Radio Coca Boschkeen in Clare and West Limerick 102 FM. And with podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Spotify and the marinetimes.ie. The programme website address is tomacsweenymarine.ie or look up Maritime Ireland Radio Show. And our email address is maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. That's maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. And our phone and text number 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Sound production on the programme by Justin Marr. Until our next programme, the usual wish of fair sailing. Mm-hmm.